The A-List is sponsored by Ad House Advertising School, where you get 10 weeks of live Zoom classes with a working ad pro. Ad nerds from all over the world have discovered Ad House as the affordable alternative to, or precursor to, traditional ad schools. Ad House classes max out at 14 students, so you get personalized instruction, and your classmates can become lifelong colleagues in your advertising career. The instructors at Ad House are all A-list creatives from top agencies and brands. Some have even been guests on the A-list podcast. Who knows? You might just meet your future boss. And Ad House classes happen on Zoom at night because you shouldn't have to quit your day job or move cities to take an ad class. Class schedule, prices, application information, and more can be found at adhousenyc.com. Apply today. That's adhousenyc.com. Ad House Advertising School for ad nerds only. Hello and welcome to The A-List, the podcast that asks the world's top advertising professionals how they got started in the business. I'm your host, Tom Chrisman, creative consultant at TomChrisman.net and one of the ad nerds at Ad House Advertising School. Today, you'll hear my conversation with Danny Gregory. He's the founder of Sketchbook School and the best-selling author of several books on creativity. But before all that, he was in advertising. We'll talk about how he got in but also how he got out to start his own business, teaching people to get back to making art at Sketchbook School. Danny's story will take us from Pakistan to Pittsburgh to Princeton to Jimmy Carter's White House, and finally to the offices of trend spotter Faith Popcorn, where Danny got his start in the business. He would go on to work as a group creative director at Ogilvy, chief creative officer at Doremus, and finally as an ECD and partner at McGarry Bowen but then a tragic accident would change his life forever and cause him to rediscover the power of art for finding meaning in life. This episode is all about trusting in the universe to show you the way and sitting down and doing what's in front of you. So get out your sketchbook and doodle along while you listen to my conversation with Mr. Danny Gregory. Danny Gregory, hello. Hi there. Nice to meet you. <laughs> nice to meet you. You were born in London, which I'm, I was, you know, you have no accent, but uh, it looks like you went all over the world. Uh, what, what, what's your story? Where'd you, where'd you come from? Well, um, my, my mother was born in Pakistan um, of German parents and went to school in England where she met my father who was English. And so I was born there. Their marriage lasted for like a year or two. And then through a series of, it was the 1960s, my mother liked to get divorced a lot. So, <laughs> and she wasn't really from anywhere in particular. So we moved a, bit, a lot. So I ended up, um, I went to about 20 different schools. I went to, we lived in, um, in Australia for three and a half years. We lived in Israel for two and a half years. Yeah. And then I lived with my grandparents in Pakistan five different times, once for almost two years. We lived in Pittsburgh f for about nine months. Um, and then we, f where else? Yeah. Then we finally came to settle down in Brooklyn in, uh, when I was almost 13. So since wow. then I've been, I've lived in America. Well, how did that affect you? Do you think? I think 
I think in a lot of ways it, it helps me, I would say, because invariably I would be in a new school where often there was a different language. Um, in, there's almost every time there was different um, things that kids were into, different sports, you know? So if you're in Pakistan, kids are playing cricket. If you're mm. in Australia, they're playing rugby. If you're in Israel, they're playing basketball. So whenever I would come, I was like more hopelessly a duck out of water than, you know, even the average kind of <laughs> geek is anyway. Right. So, so I think after a while, I kind of, I probably developed some skills in terms of being a chameleon that, that helped me, I think, in my advertising career too, the ability right. to sort of like put on a thing, yeah. you know, and to be whoever. Um, so, yeah, I think that that, and I think it also helped me creatively because I never took anything for granted. And I was also pretty open-minded in any situation. I was like, I've got to figure out what's going on here. I can't just say, well, that's not the way you do things, you know? So I think that that um, really helped to define a lot yeah. of, a lot of skills that were useful to me throughout my life. Uh, so you end up going to Princeton, uh, pretty good school. <laughs> how did you, how did you get to there and why did you go to Princeton? Well, so I went to a school, a high school called Brooklyn friends school that is, uh, a Quaker school. And when I went there in the seventies, it was very like, there were no grades. It was very free form. And so, and the classes were really, I mean, our, my, my grade had about 30 people and 35 people. So it was very small. And um, when it came to applying to college, I think all of us were like, Oh, we have no grades. Like how do we apply to colleges? Yeah. Um, and so I decided I'll apply to every school, school in the Ivy league, just cause I'd heard of it. Right. You know, I, again, I just, Princeton was the one I, I liked F Scott Fitzgerald. He had gone there and I was like, yeah, that, that'll be the one that I go to. Yeah. So, um, you know, I got in and I went there. I just, you know, I didn't. <laughs> and what did you want to be at that point in high school? What did you, what did you, did you have any idea? Um, I was, I had already been lots of different things in high school. So I had done a lot of acting, but I clearly wasn't going to be an actor. Mm -hmm. I had, I was the editor of the high school paper, but, but I kind of knew I wasn't going to be a journalist and I knew I wasn't going to be an artist, even though I did make art in high school. So my mother, you know, like me, had also moved around a lot. So her career was sort of a shambles, but she had a, she had a PhD in psychology and she ended up as an account person at Ogilvy when I was in high school, working on Avon. So, so I went to a shoot in, that she was doing in downtown Brooklyn for Avon. I, I have a photograph of me there. I don't remember much about it. But I was like, oh, this is sort of interesting. But um, I also came from a lot of people in my family were academics. And... I would just hear them come home from work at the end of the day and just complain about like the chairman and this committee and tenure. Right. And I was like, all right, I definitely don't want to do that either. <laughs> but I sort of stumbled along. And then um, my second stepfather had, was a political scientist and my uncle was a political scientist. So I decided, all right, I'll major in political science. No idea again why, because I knew I didn't want to be an academic. Hmm. Wasn't, I wasn't going to be a lawyer. I just hadn't thought it through. So I, I majored in political science and my um, kind of, and I had a minor in Near Eastern studies for no particular reason, but because I spoke Hebrew, I got credit for it. So, um, and then I, you know, I, I 
did a little bit of writing for the Daily Princetonian. And then when I was a, um, end of my sophomore year, I got, uh, I was a White House intern. So I went to Washington, wow. D.C. Yeah. And I, so I you took with, this political, political ambition seriously at that point. You were like, no, okay, let's, no, no you just no. happen to get, they said, hey, you got this internship at the White yeah, House. You're like, cool. That's my fine. stepfather, my stepfather had been working for his congressman. Oh. And he was like, he was like, he was always looking for ways to get me out of the house in the summer. Yeah. So, so it's like, I don't, I don't want you coming back from college and like lying around the house and, you know, getting in my way. So why don't you go to the white house instead? So, okay. So he so got you like, this sweet gig at the white house, Jimmy Carter's white house. It was Jimmy Carter's white house. But the bad news is it was 1980, the summer of the hostage crisis, Oh, Pre the presidential election. Jimmy Carter was badly being beaten by Reagan. Yeah. The, the helicopters went down in the desert. Like yeah. right when I was there. So I quit and I got a job at a sandwich store in Georgetown to kind of fill out the rest of the summer. So I didn't have to go home. So I left yeah. the white house and was just like hanging around with my friends. So you quit and, the and white house it. because it was like, this is, this yeah, it's is not that much fun. It wasn't yeah. really that much fun. I was like, yeah, if they, if they can't get this stuff sorted out, I have better things to do. Like making, you know, yeah. getting tips in a, in a restaurant. Yeah. <laughs> what did your stepfather think of that? Quitting the white house. Oh, you know, as long as I stayed away from the house, I think it was. Yeah. Okay. So now then, you're thinking uh, about where, what you're going to do for a job. What, what were your options at that point? Well, so I, I mean, I did well there. I, I graduated summa cum laude. I, you yeah. know, I, I, I wrote my thesis was like 500 pages long. I, I took it fairly seriously, but I hadn't really thought about it. You know, a lot of, some of my friends were going and getting jobs in investment banks a lot of them were going to graduate school. Yeah. I went home after I graduated and uh, my mother was like, well, what are you going to do? And I said, I don't know. See, you'll figure it out. And she said, no, you have to leave by the end of the summer. Like you, you, you are allowed to be in the house until yeah. September, but then you got to go. And wow. I don't care what, I don't care what you do. So I was like, all right. Um, so I kind of like tried to network with the people who I knew in my parents network and yeah but i'd kind of exhausted my stepfather's network because i'd gone to the white house <laughs> yeah i mean i'd done all these other things but went big yeah so so i decided that i would write to the ceo or president of all the major ad agencies in new york why not and see what happened see what would happen that was your that was your like plan to write to that, every that was one my of them. that was my my fallback strategy was to write so, so i wrote to a bunch of them and it was kind of surprising. Like, I think it was just like sheer chutzpah, basically, that they were like, oh. So I actually kind of surprisingly met a fair number of them. Yeah. And they were like, well, what do you want to be? And I said, eh, I don't really know. <laughs> oh, they, they, said, well, they, said, I, they said, well, let me explain to you how advertising works. There are account executives and there are creative people. And, um, you know, which would you want to be? And I said, well, what's involved? I said, I have a resume. I worked at the White House. I went to Princeton. So what, what do I need to get into either of those jobs? And they said, well, to be an account executive, you would basically just need your resume. But to become a creative person, you'd need to have a portfolio of ads you'd made. And I was like, all right, I'll become an account person because it's far less work. Yeah. And they said, well, yeah, you really don't seem like an account person. <laughs> <laughs> so I said, okay, well, so literally one night, because I had multiple meetings like this and it wasn't always the ceo it would sometimes right. be like you know some other much like totally inappropriate person for me to meet with 
Yeah. And um, then one night I said, okay, let me sit down, and write some ads. Like if that's what I'm going into, let me just try it. So yeah. literally I wrote and I wrote and drew because I, you know, so drawing. So I was drawing, I'd wrote and drew ads for like four hours and I filled a portfolio with kind of not, you know, ads with puns in the headlines. Like I didn't know yeah. anything about it. So, yeah. And I also wrote a book about my life. That was an illustrated kind of children's book about my life and how I wanted to get a job in advertising. So those are the two things I had the portfolio in this. And so then the next thing that happened was that when I would go to these meetings, so I'm living in Brooklyn Heights and I would have like a meeting with somebody at um, one agency in, in the morning and then a meeting with somebody in the afternoon. And I didn't have much money because I didn't have a job. And so I would take the subway in and then I would be in midtown Manhattan in between the meetings. So this long stretch of time where I had nothing to do, no money, I just kind of wandered the streets. Mm -hmm. So I was really looking for like, what is a solution to this problem? So one of the places that I went was again, somebody who my mother had vaguely heard of. There's a, uh, there was a small agency, it was called Brain Reserve. Mm -hmm. And it was, it was run by a woman named Faith Popcorn. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. So Brain Reserve was sort of an interesting uh, model. In the 60s, you know, you know, there's so many like big, like kind of creative breakthroughs and people like particularly Doyle Dane, um, you know, who all these creative guys who had won all these awards. And now a lot of them had gone freelance in the 70s. Right. And, and in the 80s. I'm sorry, this is the early 80s. Right. So, so, and Faith and her partner had won a bunch of like one show awards for some liquor advertising. And so they had decided to open this agency. And the idea of the agency was you would be able to hire like 20 of the top creatives by the day to all sit together in a room and solve your problem. That's why wow. it was called brain reserve. So, so basically they would all sit in the room. They'd come in with the brief. They'd all kind of brainstorm and you'd pay for that day and whatever came out of it. That was the original idea. By the time yeah. I got, so by the time I got to have this meeting with Faith, it had changed a bit and it just become kind of a small agency with sure. sort of that. But it had an amazing reel because the reel was basically all the great ads of the 60s and 70s. <laughs> <laughs> it was like 20 years of award show ads. That was their reel. Yeah. And so, um, so yeah, so I got there and, you know. When you I, say I, you got there, how did you, how did you get that meeting? Again, I think it was... Um, my mother had vaguely known, met Faith in a meeting somewhere. Okay. I don't know. And so I just says, I said, you know, hi, I, th I hear your agency's really great. I think I'd like to work there. Can I come over? And Faith's was sort of like, wait, really? Okay. I, yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I'll, I'll meet you. And so um, I met her and I went through the same thing of like, I guess I want to be a creative and here's my kind of book of meager ads drawn on typing paper and in four hours in four I hours. And, and, uh, she was like, well, I said, let me make a proposition to you. Yeah. I said, can I just come here and sit in your lobby and I will do whatever you want while I'm here. Like anything you want me to do, I'm available to do won't cost you anything. Just let me be here so I can come and go from here. So she said, yeah, okay, whatever. Yeah, you can do that. So so I started kind of rooting around the agency when I was just hanging around yeah. and um, I would find out what briefs they were working on. And so I would just work on them. And so I was doing, 
I remember working on the, there's a thing called sweet and low. Do you remember sweet and low? Like sure. The, yeah. My dad was a big sweet and low freak. Right. So they had this <laughs> idea for sweet and low um, cocktail mix. And I was like, Oh, okay. I can do that. So I yeah. like wrote a bunch of ads about that. And then there were just a lot of like miscellaneous kind of spec projects that they had and I would just work on them. Yeah. And then they sold, they sold a couple of my ideas. Oh, wow. And this is over the course of a week, you know? So, so I was That's like, okay. Great. So then they said, okay, well, can you come in tomorrow to work on this idea that we are presenting of yours? And I was like, well, I have a, I have an interview, you know, JWT in the afternoon, but yeah, I can come in the morning. So, so I would come in and then after a week, I said to Faith, you're now expecting me to be here and it's costing me. Subway tokens were like 35 cents or 50 cents. I said, it's costing yeah. me like a couple bucks a day to come here. Can you compensate me for that? So yeah. she was like, okay. So they gave me like a certain amount of money each week. And then the next week I was like, well, you know what? I have to buy lunch. <laughs> and then we had actually sold. Oh, and then the award season was happening. So. Uh, yeah. The one show is coming up and um, they said, Faith said, I can't go to the show. What, can you go? Because we want to send a copywriter. Can you? And again, there were like eight people who worked at this agency. Yeah. So they said, can you go to the award show? And I said, yeah, okay. I, I didn't even know there were advertising award shows. So I was like, yeah, that sounds kind of fun. So, yeah. so I went and, and she said, hold on a second. But if you tell anybody who you are, you need to have business cards. Okay. So they made me business cards and she said, and you know, we don't want it to seem like you're just this guy who sits in the lobby. So you have a title, your junior copywriter, vice president. So, so <laughs> I had business copywriter card. vice president. <laughs> so I had these business cards and I went to the award show and I was like, oh, this is pretty interesting. And I, you know, met a bunch of people. Um, so, you know, then at that point, Faith and her, her partner's name is Stuart Pittman. And he was her art director and Faith just didn't want to be a copywriter anymore. She wanted to be like what she became, which was a futurist. And yeah. she wanted trend, to be a, a trend uh, spotter. Right? right. She wanted to be famous really. And yeah. she, and so, so basically she would say to me, can you work with Stuart? So, and, and also at this point I'd gone to the award show, I'd worked there for like three or four weeks and I'd made like $20 the first week. $40 the next week, you know, my salary kept kind of doubling. And I finally said, look, I'm going to award shows. I'm a vice president. I need a better salary. <laughs> so by then I had enough money that I could leave my mother's house and move to an apartment on the Lower East Side. So I was like, okay, I'm set. I'll, I'll just stay here. You know, we'll see whatever, maybe something else will come up, but I'll just, I now I've accomplished my goal. That's pretty so, great. Yeah. So I was working with Stuart, you know, I, I did, you know, my first commercial for Piper Heitzig Champagne. And I was like, yeah, this is pretty good. Um, and, and you, you seem to be, you seem to fall right into it. It was, you know, the writing of ads to you was kind of easy. Like you, you, cause that yeah. first week you were doing things that they were selling. Yeah. I wasn't, I didn't, I mean, it, it just didn't seem that hard. Right. It just, it wasn't, I mean, I don't know. I don't know if the stand is really low yeah. or what, but I think I just didn't overthink it. And I just kind of, I didn't take it seriously. So therefore it was pretty yeah. straightforward. Yeah. And I, and, I, and I also didn't care if they didn't like it. I was like, I don't and I like how you adapted too. like you, you went out, you had a plan, which was I'm going to write to, I love that you wrote specifically to these human beings and not just to, you know, I hear a lot of, 
you know, young people just go into job boards or like go into what the, you know, the email that says like jobs at ogilvy.com. Those things, you know, those are not human, but find humans that you can write to and connect with and just ask to meet them. And so many people don't think that that's even in their power. But if you do it, oftentimes people will say, yeah, sure. Okay. You know, yeah. ask for it. I mean, um, I did. I did when I was in the business. If somebody ever wrote to yeah. me and was like, kind of vaguely knew who I was or something, I was like, yeah, yeah. yeah I'll, I'll help you. Why not? Yeah. And then you, when you couldn't get those jobs at those big agencies or they weren't coming or whatever it was, you just adapted to where you were and you said, I'll just be here. And that's cool too. Um, my goal wasn't to be a big advertising person. My goal was to get out of my mother's house yeah. and to <laughs> hang out with my friends in clubs, you know, at night and yeah. have my rent paid. So, yeah. So that was fine. But then advertising, you know, it's a, here's the difference I think also is that when I was coming out of college, there was no Miami ad school. There was no yeah. art center. There was not, there was no place that you could study advertising. So it wouldn't have ever even occurred to me. And also in those days, getting a job in advertising was like, you would just start at the bottom. Like the guy who was my partner for several years started out in the bullpen, yeah. a, you know, and he was doing paste up and, you know, and it was just, it, it was not. Yeah. That's it, where I started at, at the Deutsch uh, in, in, Deutsch's like paste up room. And yeah, I, I made the mechanicals, which were a thing back then. Right. I mean, um, it was, I think it was also like a lot of the people who were successful creatives in advertising had often been other things, you know? Mm -hmm. And so it was much less of a professional kind of business than it is now. Right. You know, it, was, it was not, it was just something you might fall into if you're a writer or if you're an artist. And I think it was really interesting because of that, because the people yeah. you would meet were like, you know, they didn't want to sit around talking about ads. They wanted to talk about <laughs> whatever, you know, yeah. was, I mean, and we had, I mean, it was a lot of fun. Yeah. Advertising in the eighties was really fun. Yeah. Yeah. You were at the height of the fun. I missed the fun. I was, uh, I came in in 92 and everybody was like, yeah, this used to be fun. You missed it, kid. Yeah. I mean, in the eighty in the eighties, they said that too. In the eighties, yeah. like, oh, you should, the six the sixties were awesome. You should have been here. Yeah, then. yeah, yeah. But I don't know. It was pretty fun. I mean, I I worked on like, particularly when you worked on things like cigarettes. I worked on cigarettes for about a year. Yeah, that was really fun because you had so much money and so little to actually do. Right, and you know, we would go to like strip joints and <laughs> you know, and, and That's we had concept. Like, and we had like uh, I worked on STP for a while, and there the the um, client had a rule: one case of beer per uh, focus group. So you'd sit you'd sit in the back, you'd watch yeah. the focus groups, and you had to consume a case of beer. The group who was buying the mirror had to do, yeah. and we would sometimes do three or four focus groups in a night. So it was kind of ridiculous, but that was. <laughs> The client was like, everybody drink. Yeah. Then the client was, the client um, was, was out of commission for about a month because he arranged a bow hunting trip for the marketing department and he fell out of a tree and impaled himself with an arrow. Oh. So it's like, yeah, it was, it was fun. That's insane. Um, what are the agencies that you, that you worked at over the, over that course of your, cause I want to get to your, to your art too, but, uh, what, what are some of the agencies and what were the, what were your favorite? Well, I left brain reserve and I went to a place called gear Dubois. That was, um, a midsize agency that had 
companies. We had like Barnes and Noble was a big client. We had uh, uh, we had a small part of IBM, um, and then I left there to go to uh, to Ogilvy, which is where I'd always wanted to be. I just wanted to be at Ogilvy, and when I was first writing all these letters, that's really where I wanted to be. Yeah, and um, I ended up getting a job there through a headhunter, despite all my letters. And in fact, the guy who I'd been writing the letters to and who kept saying to me, like, you're not ready, you're not ready, you're not ready. One day I was walking out the hallway at Ogilvy and he said, oh, are you here to see me? And I said, no, I work here. And he said, wait, well, you do? How did you get in here? And I said, well, job through a headhunter. And he said, why didn't you call me? And I said, well, you always told me I wasn't ready. So I asked somebody else. Yeah. And here yeah. I am. So, so I worked at Ogilvy and then um, I worked at Hal Reine and I very briefly worked at Darcy. Um, on Burger King. And then I went uh, back to Ogilvy and I worked there for a few more years. And um, where else did I work? And then I, uh, I worked Bowen. at, then I went to McGarry Bowen, like when it was like, I think I was like the 15th person. And I, that's where I ended up staying for eight or nine years. So most places I was at for 18 months to two years, but. That seems to be McGarry, the average for, for a lot yeah. of creatives, right? Yeah. I mean, McGarry changed an awful lot. So it was like working at four or five different agencies in the time that I was there. Yeah. So, um, and my job was changing and the things I was doing was different. And it was also when digital advertising was really starting to take hold. So the business was like very much in turmoil, you know? Um, oh, and also I was uh, chief creative officer of Dreamus. I forgot about that oh, wow. um, for like three years. I was, I did that job in between before, so before McGarry. Wrote- you rose up through the ranks. You were like, when did it become like, oh, I guess this is my career now. Like when you got to Ogilvy, was that like, okay, I'm going to get better at this. You know, I think part of me wanted to just, I'm really the only person in my family who worked for other people. Most of my, most of my relatives like started their of, own. Yeah. Well, they had their, they, they had their own companies or they were doctors or whatever. I think for me, it was just like, yeah, I'll just, and I think it was much harder also when I was younger to start your own company, to start your own business. So, um, you know, I felt like, yeah, I'll just, I'll just go from job to job and I would have a job. And then after a while I'd be like, um, you know, I'd get sick of it for some reason. And, uh, I would just get another job. So I didn't yeah. have a particular plan. I, right. I had one plan, which was, I wanted to make a hundred thousand dollars a year by the time I was 30, which was yeah. like an insane amount of money at the time. Right. And so, and I hit that goal and I was like, okay, that's like the one goal I've had. So yeah. I didn't, didn't really have any others. So, yeah. Um, but I, then I sort of wanted to be, I wanted to be a chief creative officer and I tried it and I, uh, and then when I was at, at McGarry, I was an executive creative director, which I liked better. Chief creative officer meant I spent uh, just a lot of time in meetings with the CEO yeah. and the CFO. And, um, but then you, you made the transition uh, and a lot of people, especially this day and age, you know, that are my age, older, um, are like, what am I going to do next? When did you start thinking about that? Um, and you started drawing in your 30s, right? Like you, were, you weren't really serious about it, about being an artist or being an illustrator until you- No, no, I, I was a copywriter. Yeah. And you were drawing just to, why, why did you start? What happened was when I was in my late 30s, um, my, I was married at that point. My son was nine months old and my wife had an accident. She fell onto the tracks of the subway and she got run over by a train. Oh my God. 
and she survived, but she was paralyzed. She was in a wheelchair for the rest of her life. Mm. So, and, you know, I was in the middle of launching a big campaign for IBM on the internet. It was like the early days of the internet. And, um, you know, at so Ogilvy. yeah, at Ogilvy. So um, my life just completely was yeah. whacked at that point. And um, my wife was in the hospital for a few months. And so I was looking after the baby as well as doing, you know, I mean, I was still at work. Yeah. And um, over the course of a couple of years, like my wife kind of got back to her life. You know, she was doing okay. She figured out how to look after the baby while she, she figured out how to do work um, off in the wheelchair. But for me, there was like a, like I, I just had lost kind of my sense of meaning and purpose of life. It just, I, it felt like you can do all the stuff, work hard, you know, do all the right things. And then something mm -hmm. like random can random happen. To, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, so I just, I just needed, and I sort of went around, like, went to churches, went to synagogues, talked to Zen monks, you know, did all the kinds of things, read books, and I just didn't feel a sense of anything feeling right. So um, then one day I just had this impulse to draw the contents of my medicine cabinet. And um, I went in with a sketchbook and I drew all the objects that were on the shelves, and like that made me feel different somehow. It made me feel like um, at peace. It made me feel anchored. Uh, it took me out of my head. And, you know, I just spent a lot of time like thinking about the awfulness of what was to come. Yeah. So then the next night I drew my wife sitting on the couch and it was really the first time in like months that I had seen her as this woman who I was in love with, who I'd been married to, who was the mother of my kid. I suddenly was able to see her, not as like this problem, oh my God, what are we going to yeah. do? Yeah. You know, suddenly I saw her. So drawing, I realized, was this way of reengaging with my life. And I didn't want to do like art lessons or that right. wasn't my point. My point was, and I started to use my sketchbook as a journal of my life. And I was recording um, everything, like the commute to work, what I ate for lunch, take a break at lunch and go and sit out in the, in the park and draw a tree uh, in a meeting. I would draw the other people. And I, and I would also write because I'm a writer. So I would write and, and I also would design the pages because, you know, I'm in advertising. So yeah. I would, I would design the pages with different drawings around them and, and I would write columns of type and I would have headlines. And, and so it became this just way of um, just getting, a grip on life and yeah. so putting so some was, order putting some order to the world right i mean you were sort of ordering yeah. your world yeah yeah it was it was definitely it was also a way of being present like if you look at something and you draw it your mind calms down time slows you're here mm -hmm. in the moment you're now as opposed to living in your head and advertising is all about living in your head too right making mm -hmm. up stuff wondering what the client's going to say, what's the reaction going to be to this? How am I going to solve that? Who would I shoot it with? Blah, 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 blah. You know, but this is like, it's about your hands. It's a pen, it's paper, it's making. It took me back to when I was six and sat at the table with crayons and just drew stuff. It's all that stuff, you know, that, that is who I was at my core, I think in a lot of ways. Yeah. And, 
So, so it really, it was a really powerful thing. And I thought, you know, and I, I hadn't really heard that this was a thing that you could do. Um, and so that just became my, my side thing. And I would just do it. And I was, then I took a, I didn't like the sketchbooks that I had. So I took a class in book binding so I could make my own sketchbooks. And then I kind of branched out from just drawing with a one pen to using a couple of markers and then maybe eventually into watercolor. And so I was, that's, that's basically what I've been doing for over 20 years now is, and I have like shelves of books, bookshelves in here full of sketchbooks yeah. that are just documenting all the things that happened to me, um, yeah. all the places. I, so I would go on a shoot and, you know, I had the experience of like when I was at Ogilvy working on American Express, I would travel to amazing places to shoot commercials and, um, and they were a blur, like I couldn't remember them. And then I started drawing and I went on shoots and suddenly I would say, draw the countryside. I'm going to go and draw a building. I'm going to go and draw some people. And the memories were like, to me, it's like, um, it's like recording in 4k mm. as opposed to an SD. So like, like I've been living my life in SD, but when you're, when you're recording all the data that you get when drawing, you really, really see every yeah. tiny pixel you really and it and it's lodged in your brain so that then you come back to it and you are there you can because it's not just what you see when you're drawing you're also recording in your brain what you're hearing what you the what the temperature is like what you smell yeah. all that stuff is like in there yeah and that's really really cool it's like a time machine when you're in advertising you're renting out your creativity mm to somebody right so, mm -hmm. so you're not making stuff for you you're not making you you know i mean i a lot of the ads that i did were i channeled my life experience into them you know so right i wrote a lot of commercials for chase and you know you can look at that real chase commercials and they're kind of like my diary because there's like that's the one about my son and that's the one about when i was a kid and i got my first paycheck and that's the one about our neighbor mm. so i was definitely channeling my life experiences into advertising but still it's advertising and sure yeah. so i think that having this as a side thing to do and the important thing is to i for me also was not to professionalize it yeah. I didn't want, don't become an illustrator. Don't say, oh, I could probably do a gallery show. I could build, you know, yeah. I could have an amazing Instagram. No, this is your thing. Just do this and it will help you with your other stuff. It will help you to have a different perspective on the stuff that you're making. Yeah. Um, it definitely helped my uh, career as well, strangely. You know, you have things that feel like success. Yeah. You know, so getting an award, getting a raise, getting a promotion, getting, you know, whatever external things. And, you know, it's important, I think, to have things that aren't that, yeah. have that, you know, things that, that are in your life that are just doing them for their own sake, because that's where we began. And, and, you know, then also, I think the pressure that we put on our subconscious when we're think you know, when we professionalize things yeah. means it's much harder to play. It's much harder to take risks because, we is much more at stake all the time, but there isn't yeah. actually really, yeah. You know? So, but when you're making stuff for yourself and it's just like picking a sketchbook, it's not like I wasn't going to frame it. I wasn't going to sell it. It was just like things. Yeah. So then it's, it's much more, I mean, and that's what sketchbook school has been about all along because I have a lot of like 
art directors, designers in recovery um, who who were like, I want to just get back to why I went to art school in the first place. I went to art school because I loved to make, to paint in high school. I Mm. came out of art school and, you know, I went to advertising school or I got a job as an illustrator, you know, working for a pharmaceutical company or a designer working for a bank and an architect, you know, I mean, I talked to uh, architects a lot and they say, I haven't drawn anything in 20 years, but drawing is why I became an architect. But now I just sit at a computer and move a mouse. And I never think to just go and sit at a cafe and draw a building. Yeah. You know, it's like that. I forgot how much fun that can be. So, so I think it's like, we can, you know, because nobody's looking out for that part of you. Nobody else is saying like, yeah, you should definitely be, you know, doing creative projects and working on your own. No, that's your thing. And either you do it or you don't. So if, if, if you're not doing it, then nobody's going to tell you to do it. And I used to tell people who work for me, like, what are you doing creatively on your own? And they'd be like, what do you mean? Like, I got time for that. I'm working on my website. What? When did sketchbook school sort of pop into your head? Were you still in advertising when that idea came to you or had you left or? Well, so as you can tell through the narrative thread running throughout this entire conversation, I have planned very little in my life. It's all happened by happenstance. Yeah. Um, and, you know, when I, when I was working at, at McGarry Bowen, um, I, at the last big account I was running was Chevron. I had a few other accounts in my group. Um, and I was directing and I was doing a bunch of stuff. And um, Chevron was realizing like they needed to do more digital work, which I've been pushing them, pushing them to do. And, mm-hmm. you know, I was, I was just doing I was like, I remember going to meetings at the New York times and talking to them about some of the really interesting things that they were doing. This is like 10 years ago. Um, mm-hmm. And thinking like, God, like I'm trying to drag these corporate clients kicking and screaming to do something beyond a 30 second commercial. Like, right. It's really, uh, I'm, it's just too, it's just boring. Yeah. Um, and there are so many things that I'm interested in. I mean, I've always been interested in, in digital stuff. I mean, I had my first website in like 94, I think I started my first community in 2002. And I remember when I was first working on digital advertising for IBM, this is in the mid nineties. We did advertising for when um, they sponsored the Atlanta Olympics. And I built a website that was about the website. It was called the boiler room and other people, other creatives in Ogilvy would be like, what are you doing? And I was like, well, you know, this is really cool because nobody's really paying attention. And I love to write long things. I used to write long body copies. So I was like, when you write a website, you can, and I was explaining to them, like, this is what hyperlink copy is. You can write a really long thing and then you can have links that go to other things and yeah. you can write all this stuff. And frankly, nobody, the client's really even looking at it. And this is what I'm doing. And it's really interesting. And uh, they would say, but can you can't put it in your portfolio and you can't win awards for it. So what's the point? Yeah. It's like, I don't know. I'm getting, I'm still getting paid. I'm just doing it. So, yeah. So, so I was always interested in all these things. And then, um, I had, I had written a bunch of books. So this is the part of the story that we're probably not going to go into, but I wrote a bunch of books and, um, increasingly there were books about the things that I've been talking to you about art, yeah. about how, uh, so I wrote a book called everyday matters. that was about my wife's experience, um, with, with her accident and how I learned to draw, I wrote a book called um, The Creative License, which was really uh, a response to another book called The Artist's Way that you you might have heard of. Um, And it was basically saying, instead of The Artist's Way, which is about 
using writing to get out of your creative block. I was explaining how using drawing can get you out of your creative block. So Creative License, and both those books did really well. Creative License was like, it's still sold really strongly for a decade or more. Um, so I did that. And then, um, and then I was just interested in this whole phenomenon of sketchbooks. So yeah. I did a couple of books that were basically, I, I thought I'm going to go get in touch with artists and designers and see, do you, are you into sketchbooks? Like, have you done it? Is it a thing? Yeah. And so I did these two books um, about that. And so, yeah, so I was just doing, and then I also, I wrote a, a a kid's novel. I wrote a memoir of when my wife was pregnant with my son. I just started writing stuff and making stuff. This is all again, while I was at work, yeah. while I was in advertising. I just, and you were doing do that at night or you were doing that at the office when you had a, a down day or exactly. I had, I had great technology in my office so I could yeah. scan things. And yeah, so I did this bunch of books and then, um, uh, I just thought like, and people would always say to me like, why aren't you doing that? Mm. Oh, and also I had a blog. So I was writing on my blog a lot. As I mentioned before, I had podcasts. I was just doing a lot of other things. And, yeah. and then I, um, uh, oh, and I was also a partner at McGarry Bowen. That This helps. So I was a yeah. partner at McGarry Bowen. We got bought by Dentsu. So suddenly I had like a bit of money. I was like, yeah, oh, okay. And then yeah. my wife passed away. Oh, so, sorry. so yeah, so there was all these things that were like, I kept thinking like I can continue down this road, dragging corporate clients into the 20th century, 21st century, more yeah. Like, yeah. or, you know, I can start to trust in what I'm doing yeah, and say like, maybe there's a thing here and it may not be as lucrative as advertising, but it may be really what I'm supposed to be doing. So, um, so, so eventually, so then my, my girlfriend, after my wife passed away, I had a girlfriend um, and she got a job in California and she said, and my son had graduated from high school and he was at RISD. And so I thought, okay, um, screw it. I'll just, I'll quit. And so uh, we moved to Los Angeles for a year. And while I was there, um, I wanted to do a, an online course. And that one online course ended up metastasizing into what is now sketchbook school, which is like a much, much bigger thing. Yeah. Uh, I wrote, I wrote another couple of books while I was in LA. Um, and I thought I was going to freelance and I did a bit, but I was like, Oh, I just can't do this anymore. So I yeah. stopped, I stopped doing that and, you know, starting a business, something I'd never thought I would do, but suddenly all these things that I wanted to do and particularly advertising things because um, figuring out how to advertise Sketchbook school. Yeah. yeah how, to, how to do that, how to create a brand identity for it, how to do social media, all this stuff. It just became an outlet for any advertising desires I had. Yeah. And I, and I got to help people because, you know, we've had like, I don't know, 50 or 60,000 students have come through. And so a lot of them are learning to do stuff. And then I taught a course, which became a book called How to Draw Without Talent. And that was a thing I wanted to do, which is to say, you don't really need talent. You just need to start doing it. And yeah. Um, so, yeah, so it's kind of, you know. And that is sort of what you did in your life. Like you didn't, you didn't really make a plan to be in advertising. You didn't really make a plan to, you know, how am I going to be a creative director or how am I going to, you just sort of started doing it. You got to Faith Popcorn and you just kept doing what was in front of you, which is sort of what you do when you draw. Um, that's kind of amazing. 
and and now you're uh you've got sketchbook school which has plenty of great uh little classes that are all videos and you know you can do them at your own pace um i did the i forget which one i did but um it was just a way of like trying to trying to prompt myself to to draw something uh right. and it was so great um and it was so fun and, and i did i filled i filled several sketchbooks after that and i try to do it whenever i can that's um, great yeah yeah because a lot of what we've tried to do is i tried to take all the skills i had in advertising about production mm -hmm. and to because there are a lot of online classes that like people film with webcams we were trying yeah. to say like what if we shot them as if it was a commercial so that was one thing yeah and also i know a lot of sketchbook artists now from the years of doing this so we that do that but then the way the thing that it's become now is it's become a club which is something that i was missing which is you don't have to sit by yourself in your room and draw you can be part of um, a community and now we have a thing our newest uh endeavor is called spark and spark is uh basically every day we have things on zoom where we have drawing events so we'll bring in an artist and we'll draw together or have an assignment or sometimes we um, we'll take courses out of our library and we'll investigate them and we'll, we'll work on the stuff together. So if you need prodding, you need, you know, somebody to say like, come on, let's go and draw. You have that all the time, whenever you want to. Yeah. And then we also do workshops. So if you don't have time for all that, you can come on Saturday and you can spend two or three hours and you can be with an artist live and you can learn cool new stuff. So it's designed for all different kinds of amount of time you have. Um, but also I write a magazine and I do this podcast, which is also about how do you get over yourself? How do you get over the voice in your head? I wrote a book called shut your monkey, which yeah. is about, about, uh, dealing with the, you know, the inner voice, that creative inner critic that's constantly badgering you and telling you, you have better things to do than be true to yourself. So yeah. it's, you know, there's lots of different elements to it from like learning how to watercolor to learning how to actually pick up a pen without being terrified you know, <laughs> and beating yourself senseless over it. So yeah, it's a lot of and stuff. Making mistakes and being able to just sort of use them and, and make it something new. I, I often find that I'm in the middle of a sketch and I think it sucks. And I have this instinct to just turn the page and go but i keep going and it always ends up being awesome it always ends up being something i look back on and i go i thought that sucked in the middle of it and now look at it that's great so it's because you suck at being a critic yeah yeah and there's no point in being a critic at that point because like who cares um right, so exactly. and i think I, I think we know this in our, in our work when we're developing ideas that if you're working with a partner who's constantly assessing your ideas as you have them, I'm sure yes. you, everybody's had that experience of like, yes. well, I don't know if that would work. Well, we did something like that. I saw something <laughs> like that in, in an award show. Nah, nah, nah. Yeah. You know, and he's, would you just like, why don't you go to your office and let's meet up later on when we have a bunch of ideas? Yeah. You know, so it's like, can you do that to that voice in your head and just say, you know what, let's take a break. I'll go over here and draw. You go over there and like do your taxes and yeah. we'll get back to that later on. Yeah. And don't think about it. How do people get in touch with you and, and, and get on sketchbook school? So sketchbook school, we spell school with a K just because I'm in advertising. So it's sketchbookschool.com. Um, or we can go to dannygregory.com or, um, you know, you can follow my podcast, which is called art for all. Yeah. Uh, and uh, good. Excellent. And, you know, I think if you want to, um, try out this thing, I described spark, um, 
you can have a uh, you can try it for seven days or fourteen days. I forget what it is for free. Um, I, I'll I'll give you the information that you know as to how exactly people can apply for it. Okay, and I'll put it uh, in the show notes. That would be great. That would be great. Um, and I you know I look forward. To, I mean, it would be great to have some more advertising folks in our community. Um, yeah, yeah. there are all kinds of interesting people, but advertising people are great too. And what are the the cheaper classes? Are like it's not not expensive, right? To to take a sketchbook yeah. school class. You know, I think it depends which ones you take. Um, yeah. But generally, if you work in advertising, you can afford it. Yeah. Um, but also, I do something. I do free stuff too. So I have a show called Draw with Me um, on Thursdays on YouTube at noon Eastern time. So if okay. you come to the Sketchbook School YouTube channel, um, you can draw with me and that could be a great way to start yeah just come hang out and uh let's just draw today we're going to draw i don't know um the eiffel tower i think yeah so so it's just fun it's low pressure no judgment and uh it could be the thing that gets you back into it and then you know it'll make your way back to being the artist you're supposed to be and you get to listen to, to Danny Gregory's soothing voice while you do <laughs> it. I, I do. I find that that voice is uh, very helpful to, to drawing. It just feels nice. You, 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 uh, I loved Mr. Rogers when I was a kid. And you, that, <laughs> that sort of, it feels like that feeling again when I'm drawing with you. I'll put on a cardigan. And, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And we can, we Won't can you do be some, my neighbor? And we can do some ASMR. Yes, it's true. <laughs> All right. Thanks for coming on, Danny. You bet. This is really fun. It was fun to talk about advertising. I haven't talked about it in a while, but uh, yeah, you know, it's 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 a great industry to be a part of. And, uh, you know, just don't forget that you're a three-dimensional human being as well. Oh, good advice. Thank you so much. <laughs> you bet. Um, and I, I, I'm going to listen to your podcast and, and come to one of your draw with me's. Please soon. do. That'd uh, be awesome. Thanks a lot, man. Danny Gregory, what a story. Did you doodle during the episode? I hope you did. He gave us a link for a 14-day free trial. It's in the show notes uh, for Sketchbook School Spark. This has been the A-List Podcast. I'm your host, Tom Chrisman. You can find me at tomchrisman.net. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe to our show wherever you listen. And if you could leave a review, it would really help us reach more ad nerds. So thank you. The music you're hearing is from Ross Hopman over at duotoneaudio.com. You rock, Ross. Sorry. All right. Thanks. Bye.